You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. So how was New Orleans? Um, pretty good. I uh, um, I drank heavily. I ate at Acme and Galatoire's, which I think is a pretty good. Pretty good split. Yes, very nice. And, you know, then I uh, got drunk and went to Cafe de Mall. So, you know, <laughs> no complaints. The usual. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it was a company Christmas party, and someone kept giving me shots. So, which I think is unfair. You shouldn't <laughs> give me shots. Bad things happen. I how the company Christmas party was in New Orleans. Our main office is in New Orleans. Uh... So the uh, Dallas office would like it to be in Dallas one year. And I told them to shut their faces. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're asking. Oh, no, no. They complain about it. They're like, oh, I can't believe we have to go to New Orleans. I'm like, oh my you gosh. shut <laughs> Good grief. You shut your holes. I mean, like you can literally walk down the street with open, you know, open containers. Right. And go from bar to bar. Like, I don't understand how you think another place is better. But I'm like, no, no one wants to come to Dallas. We want to go to New Orleans. That's where the drinking is. I don't understand how we are a tourist destination. Like, I really don't. I, I really don't. In fact, that's what I like about Dallas is that it's not a tourist destination. Like, if you know, if you've lived in touristy cities, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Because there's tourists everywhere. And tourists are annoying. I mean, nothing personal, but they are. And- if you live there. And even and so with Dallas, New Orleans being a tourist destination, though, if you, as long as you stay off Bourbon Street for the most part, it, yeah, exactly. it, it was never like, overrunning with, with tourists. Yeah, we contain them. It's yeah. brilliant. Like, if you run into a tourist, <laughs> if you run into a tourist in New Orleans, it's pretty much your own fault. It's like, well, where were you? Well, I was on Bourbon Street. Well, there well, you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we keep the tourists. I mean, if you like, find them at the mall in Metairie, you're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. And that's all that Dallas is. You find them at the at the Galleria, and yeah. you're like, well, "Oh, I know what you're doing here. That's what there is to do here. Look, there's a big Christmas tree." Or they're downtown looking at the grassy knoll, so. which you know that's the literally the only thing to do for a tourist. What a what a great chamber of commerce we have. <laughs> we murdered a president. Come check it out. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I mean, it, you. It, it boggles my mind. You know, I've, I've had I don't go downtown during the day often, but like over the past four months, I've gone down there three times. Just I'm helping helping an acquaintance out. He's in a nasty, ongoing custody fight with his ex and that kind of stuff. And so I'm just there's a character witness basically, and I'm down there for court to start at nine a.m. and I'm usually done between eleven and one. And every it, it doesn't matter what day it is or what time in that eleven to one block. There's always a couple dozen people around that little area. I'm like, I've yeah. never even stopped to look at it because. Oh no, it's it, it is cool. Like I'm not gonna lie, you know, it's there's a whole museum and everything. Well, yeah, I want to go to the museum, and like I missed going to a party with Kelly there a year or so ago, and I kind of regret that. But as far as you know, like, just like walking around the thing, dude, I've driven the same route that the car drove. I think I'm good. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you're good. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten stitches in the same hospital. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But no, like, I like how much we've marketed killing a president. Like, if you go to, okay, do you know where McKinley was assassinated? No, where was that? Buffalo, New York. Oh, well, there you have go. Have you ever, have you ever gotten together with some people and say, hey, let's go to Buffalo and check out the place that McKinley got assassinated? No, I have James not. Gar- Garfield assassinated in our nation's capital. No one cares. Yeah. In a train station, public place. I've never been to the train station. Well, I might have been. I've well, been to a lot of tra- train stations in DCs. <laughs> there might be a plaque somewhere. It's like, hey, this is where. Uh, this is the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Where James Garfield took one in the noggin. You know, <laughs> actually, it was in the shoulder, but, you know, whatever. I think it's because. <laughs> I think it's because Kennedy was the first TV president. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's, he's always yeah. going to have the mystique about him that. That the other ones don't because, okay, you know, Lincoln always gets the creds because, you know, Civil War president, freed the slaves, blah, blah, blah. You know, all all the things we usually associate with Lincoln, and rightfully so, right? But to be fair, I've been to where he's assassinated. I've been to Ford's Theater. There you go. And, but McKinley and Garfield, like, everyone's like, well, what do they do? Like, why should, why should we care, basically? Yeah, basically, Garfield just, what he did was get assassinated. He had just been elected president. He hadn't done anything yet. McKinley, as all he did was keep Teddy Roosevelt from becoming president, and he didn't even do a good job at that. Because right. <laughs> guess who became a president? Because assassinated. <laughs> uh. So yeah. So there you go. Presidential assassinations. Were we recording on any of this? Yes, or did yes, we just, uh... yes, we were. <laughs> I've, yes. I've been recording this whole thing. Yes, we can lead off with killing presidents. I'm very <laughs> excited about this. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> and that is the well-oiled machine we are. <laughs> Cue the theme music. Welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast. We've already talked about killing presidents and why you should do it in a popular place or shoot a popular president. <laughs> you can't shoot him too early. No one ca- James Garfield was very popular, but no one cares now because he was shot too early. Got to wait till about that two or three year sweet spot and then check out the approval ratings and then boom, Dallas is a tourist destination for all time. So... And now the podcast is required listening by the Secret Service. Yeah, and this is why I have a file at the CIA. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying that I'm going to assassinate the president. I am far too lazy. (laughs) I just don't care that much. I really don't, and I don't want to be famous. And also, I live in Dallas. We've already killed a president. We already got the bump. (laughs) I don't think you get two of them. I, I don't think if you kill a second president... It's gonna There's going to be more tourism. Yeah, right. it, it, Nothing for me. So if you're listening, FBI, not going to kill a president. <laughs> this is just putting it out of the world for someone who maybe lives in Baton Rouge or something. And, you know, what president goes to Baton Rouge? That's a good question. See? See? Safe. All safe, FBI. You don't have to tap my phone. <laughs> you're going to, but you don't have to. <laughs> Pretty boring... Uh chats with your family and them listening to your children over the speaker but you know that's pretty hey, much look, what my phone conversations are like so 
Hey, my dad was NSA, so um, <laughs> they already have a file on me. It's uh, They know. <laughs> I've been investigated a few times, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, speaking of killing, how about what LSU did to Georgia? Look at that! A segue! <laughs> and yes, we did. And just so everyone knows, we didn't record last week because I was getting drunk in New Orleans. But I'm back. So we're going to talk about Georgia, just Chris and I. And then later in the week, we will talk about Burrow and everybody else winning a whole bunch of awards. And we will try and get them released both by the end of the week. So we might get released on the same day. They might come back, you know, back to back days. But I promise it's going to be two podcasts this week to make up for not doing anything last week. That said, boy, did we smack around Georgia. And was that not fun? It was so glorious. It was just like one of those games where it could have gotten more out of control earlier. Mm. Like it threatened to be a huge blowout from the start, but instead it was the kind of blowout where you still had to pay attention because you're like, yeah, well, LSU could blow this, but I mean, they scored what on the first two drives it was 14, nothing. Yep. The game wasn't over over, but it was essentially over from the beginning. And then, you know, they just put them in a headlock and quietly strangled them to death. <laughs> it, it was it was a professional win, to use the phraseology. Yeah. And it bumped LSU up to number one. Did you see that coming? I did not. That was, I was definitely, a very pleasant yeah. shock. I, I was sure that we had earned the number one seed, but they wouldn't give it to us. Right. And to be honest, it wouldn't have bothered me. I don't think the gap between LSU and Ohio State is so huge that you had to give it to one team. And I think we had discussed this a few weeks ago where I felt LSU had earned number one. But if they didn't get it, they didn't get it, whatever. And honestly, there's something to be said for being a two seed. Under the BCS, LSU was a two seed twice. They won the national title 2003-2007. Number one seed one time. And that is the game that shall not be mentioned. (laughs) Um, a number one seed has never won the national title since the beginning of the playoffs. So there is something to be said for staying angry. Yeah, the um, I had mixed feelings about the whole thing. Just like what you said, I felt like we deserved to be number one, but at the same time, I would have been okay with it. But now I'm glad we are, and I'm really thinking this is going to be the year that that trend is broken. They just appear unstoppable. I think so, too. Um, we'll get into previews probably maybe later this week, maybe next week. I don't know yet. I don't know how good Clemson is. Right. That's uh, the big Clemson- question mark on the whole thing because they've not played anybody. They had one ranked team the entire season they played against. And so we really don't know really how good they are. Yeah, on they paper- could be great. Yeah, on paper I mean, they, they look could- spectacular. I-, I mean, they looked pretty shaky early in the year and since then they've ramped it up ever since that North Carolina scare maybe Clemson's amazing I I do not want to rule that out so I don't think it's smooth sailing and honestly that is the good thing about being the one seed you avoid Clemson for a week right but also I think LSU why I'm really glad they had the one seed is that I think it puts the cap on the regular season that this was such a magical year yeah. And it seemed like LSU had earned 
a one seed, not for playoff purposes, but for recognition of what they did in the regular season purposes. Yeah. And I'm kind of, I'm trying to view the playoffs as a separate season. So we finish up the regular season. We beat the heck out of Georgia. They print the t-shirts, SEC champions, undefeated regular season. We'll see how the next season goes. Yeah. Well, I know back in the day, when you know the AP was the body that essentially chose the national champion, they stopped at the end of the regular season. They didn't count bowls towards your number one ranking. Yeah, they were exhibitions. Yeah, so uh, up until about the mid '60s, right? So it's before either of our time. Neither of yeah. us are that old, right. but yeah, I mean, there is something to be said that I think one of the problems with 2011 with how it ended is LSU fans never got a chance to truly appreciate how great that team was. Yeah. And it's never going to happen. You can't go back in time. You you just can't, you can't do it. So I do think there was a concerted effort among LSU fans this year to enjoy this. And that doesn't mean LSU is never going to have a good team again, that will never contend for titles or that will never be the number one team or even the best team in the country. But there was something about, this year in particular that was just special from day one. And I'm glad that I think most LSU fans took time to appreciate it. Yeah. Even if they waited till the SEC championship game to do it. Yeah. But I, I think even more people, I think by October, everyone was on board of this is a truly great, singularly great year Let's everybody make sure we make the most of it. And I'm glad we did that. So what I want to have at the playoffs, every team in the playoffs is good. And not just good, they're great. Oklahoma is the worst team in the playoffs. And they're friggin' Oklahoma. I mean, it's not like they're some fly-by-night program. They have have back-to-back Heisman winners. They have one of the best offenses in the country. They have one of the best coaches in the country. Their defense is no longer incompetent. They've won like 20 Big 12 titles in a row or something silly. They're a team that you need to be afraid of. And I like the fact that LSU is playing great teams for the title. We'll see how it goes. But if they don't win, they don't win. And I don't think it takes anything away from 2019. I think the big thing in 2011 was, you know, we had to play Bama again. Yeah, I think we would look at that season a lot differently if we had played Oklahoma State and lost. I, I think so. Yeah, there, there was something to be said because it it didn't it wasn't just that you lost; it felt like you were getting screwed. Right, exactly that. Yeah, and I think if you lose to Oklahoma, no one's going to be mad at Oklahoma. I mean, they'll be mad at Oklahoma because you know right. Oklahoma beat you, but Oklahoma's trying to win too. It won't be like it was illegitimate. They'll be mad at LSU for not finishing the job. Right. If you lose to Ohio State or Clemson, I think that's more of, hey, all season long, we thought one of these three teams was the best. They were just as good as we were, and they happened to win the title. Yeah. That sucks, but these things happen. Great teams. But once again, the other team is trying to win, too. So I think it would be much easier to take a championship game loss. I mean, Oklahoma's not a bad – I mean, once again, just Oklahoma's a very good team. They're a blue blood program. 
that loss would be a little harder to swallow yeah. just because they're not quite at that level. They've they've looked shaky at times this year. But still, the 2019 season, I want I kind of want to put it in the books yeah. and say, this is what we accomplished. This is what LSU did. All debts are paid. Yeah. And now it's the playoffs and it's just hey, this is it's put it as, as a soccer analogy. We've just won the Premier League. Now we're in Champions League. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We did a chan- we did a soccer reference here. <laughs> we're, we're we are that erudite. <laughs> and using big words too. I, I did. I, I even used the word erudite. So, consider we have not yet played a semifinal playoff game. No. And we're looking at this just as the regular season with our SEC championship. Is this the best best season of LSU college football ever? I think if you only count the regular season, and I know that's hard, Yeah, I think 2011 is still a better season because mm-hmm. LSU just bushwhack teams. But on top of that, they beat the Pac-12 champions. They beat the Big East champions. They beat the runner-up in the SEC. I think they beat the ACC champ. Yeah, no, no, that was the year before. The, the thing is they had beat, they beat so many really good teams, and also on the road. They beat Oregon in a neutral site. They beat West Virginia on the road. And that team was just such a chaotic storm. Mm. I think had LSU won the title – in 2011, it would have gone down next to 1995 Nebraska as the greatest college football team of all time. Yeah, and I think they and that's another thing that hurt about that loss. I think they squandered it. I think you can make a case this year that Ohio State had a better season. I, I don't think it's right, but I think you can make a credible case. Yeah, that Ohio State had a objectively better regular season. And you couldn't do that in 2011. You couldn't turn around and point to another team in the country that had anywhere near what LSU did. Yeah. And so I think if you're saying regular season only, who accomplished more? I think it's 2011. That said, if you start factoring in like postseason awards, which I am trying to push off till later this week. You can make a very good case for 2019 because you, know, you start throwing in. They won the Bolitnikoff. They won the Thorpe. They won the Heisman. Yeah. Um, Coach of the year. I mean, that's a lot of hardware that they've already put in there. And on top of that, there was a lot of bills coming due that there wasn't so much of in 2011. Mm. Uh, I think in 2019, we, we owed Florida. Uh, we mm. hadn't played Florida in Tiger Stadium, I think, in four like a legitimate home game in like four years. It's all my thought. The Alabama losing streak, of course, you know, we don't need to belabor that point. Um, even Auburn, even though we had beaten them, you know, have, have beaten them more than we, we've lost to them recently. That's still a good rivalry game. I think there was a certain edge to some of our games. Uh, and also the A&M game where we really owed them for, for last year. 2011 did not have that kind of, crossing stuff off the ledger yeah it it was more like 2011 was more like this is a great team and we're gonna beat you Mm. 2019 is this is a great team and today we settle off family business (laughs) yeah this was al al pacino in in, you know in godfather part two actually no that's part one sorry yeah this is yeah 
this is the end of God, you know Godfather Part One. We're not we're not just going to beat you. We're going to take your soul. Yeah, really, we're going to take your soul, and then we're going to slam the door in your face. Sorry, Kay. <laughs> See, I take that Godfather analogy just a little bit, you know, a little bit too far. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone who has not seen Godfather is going what? People have seen Godfather, and if you haven't seen Godfather, that's your fault. It's a great movie. I'm not going to apologize for making a Godfather reference. That's not like some, you know, it's it's not some obscure movie from the 70s here. It's not like I'm referencing Papillon or something like that. Another great movie that you should see. I was about to say, that's that Steve is Mc- an obscure movie. But that's Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman, and that's still, you know, that's awesome. And, you know, French for Butterfly. And I'm just saying, if you're LSU, throw a little bit of French in there. Yep, That's our thing. But yeah, I... This season was a ton of fun, and we knew to work. The other thing, 2011 kind of had the quarterback controversy hanging over it the entire year. Because you had the Shady's incident. You know, Jefferson was suspended. You know, Lee played. And there was that argument of, like, I remember people arguing over who deserved the touchdown. Mm. You didn't have any of that in 2000. There were no team divisions yeah. or fan divisions. Everybody was totally on board. So and from that standpoint, I think this, I think the 2011 team was more accomplished in the regular season but the 2019 team was more galvanizing for the fan base i like that yeah just came up with that didn't even plan it (laughs) one thing that kind of struck me after the the sec championship game was i thought les miles always did a great job of building culture for the team yeah, and, I agree. And by extension, the university. I mean, Les is still an LSU fan to this day. He He's still going to go out there, and he, he won't say anything bad about anyone or anything related to the university. He's still cheering for the team to do well. That's how much he, he came to love this place. But I think the thing I always felt, I know I'm not alone in, in this, that a lot of fans felt was lacking was a sense, I think, of constant discipline to go along with that kind of fun family atmosphere. And I think O has been able to bring both of those. He's kept the culture going, the one team, one heartbeat thing, but you see a focus and a discipline that wasn't really part of this program consistently before. Yeah, I do think there's more accountability. I I think that's fair. Miles was definitely a player's coach and – I do think he gets he got a bad rap from everyone for the um the team vote thing on Jeremy Hill mm. because I honestly Jeremy Hill was kicked off the team was you know suspended and kicked off the team pending the end of his court trial essentially right. and then it ended it ended you know he had to do everything to get back the last step was you have to ask your teammates to come back which I think is actually a good thing. And I, it became like this online joke, like that was the only thing he did. It was like, hey, right. do you want him back? Well, that's I, – I, so I thought Les Miles kind of got a bad rap on that thing. Also, let's be honest. He kicked Rand Matthew off the team, and I would – find me another coach in all of college football history who has kicked a Heisman finalist off his team mm. without, an arre- without an arrest or a grades problem. Yeah. I, I – Literally no one. And it wasn't so, like he arrived at that decision lightly either. They had a, a program of some sort in place to help him at that time. And it was just he he just couldn't stick with it, basically. 
So I think Les kind of gets a bad rap on, on that front. It's not like the inmates were running the asylum. Because I, I do think there's now this tendency that there was no discipline on under Miles, and I don't right. think that's fair. Right. That said, so I at least wanted to clarify that point. That said, I do think you're right that there's more accountability. I think how Edo has taken guys, particularly on the offensive line, where you know, well Charles has been suspended and kind of going in and out of games. Now he chose which games he was going to be suspended for. Yeah, but he's going to have to. He he, he will have missed five games this year, and that's mm. a huge chunk of time. Kicking Divinity off the team. Mm. I mean, now Divinity might come back for a championship game, but still, it'll be a five six game suspension. That's and let's be honest, this team could use Michael Divinity right now. Yep. So, I do feel that there's. Let's put there wasn't under Miles. It felt every year something happened at the end of camp. Yeah. It normally happened at Shady's, but, or Tigerland somewhere, but something happened every year. And if something happens every year, if it happens once, it's not your fault. If it happens twice, maybe it's not your fault. If it happens three times, it's your fault. And, and I think that's where it's fair to blame Les Miles, that his players kept getting in trouble when he wasn't on top of them because they knew, not that they could get away with it, but just that there was a, a sense of entitlement where they could do things like that. And Ed, last year, I don't think anything happened at the end of the camp. Definitely nothing came out of camp this year. No. And I think that's the big thing. We have not started our seasons with, oh, well, who got arrested now? Mm. Now, there has been like the Derek Dillon thing, but they took care of that quickly. You know, that has not been something that's, you know, hung over the program. Right. And – I think Edo deserves a lot of credit for that. He has he has known when to kick guys off the team, when to suspend them, how to suspend them. And also I think he's done a lot of stuff where he just handles it all internally. He does not publicly embarrass his players. Yeah. And I, I think that's important. Now yeah. on the flip side, you know, when they got in a fight against Texas A&M, mm. he didn't do anything to those guys because that was <laughs> – that was BS and everybody knew it. Yeah. So he knows when not to discipline as well. One of the things that strikes me as a difference is that you've always had team leaders who who try to make the rest of the team accountable. But it always seemed to me under Les Miles, it was just a couple of individuals. Right now, especially this season, it seems like it's top to bottom. Everyone on the yeah, team a, is holding everyone a, else on the team accountable, right? It's that's it's a that, really good point. I, it, I, yeah, if you look at old older teams under less, like you know Trey White held people accountable. Yeah, but he's just one guy, right? Or even or even last year, it was Devin White. You mm-hmm. know, but there weren't a whole lot of other guys holding everybody accountable. I mean, maybe maybe Garrett Brumfeld last year on, mm-hmm. on the offensive line, maybe Rashard Lawrence, but he was hurt for a lot of the year, so it's. I don't want to say it's a bad thing, but it's it's hard to be a leader when you're not playing. Yeah. No matter what the reason. But this year, it's yeah, it's everybody. Like you know, you're comfortable with anybody saying like saying anything at the time. Like it, it's hard to single out a guy as the leader. Right. And this is where you go to Joe Burrow. You know where you know Burrow is definitely a leader, and I, I think. It goes back to last year where now the famous meeting 
where everybody said their piece after guys getting kicked off, you know, leaving the transferring off the team. And he said, if anybody has a problem with me, say it right now. Mm. I mean, that's some serious leadership where he's just like, I'm here to stay. I'm the starting quarterback. <laughs> if you have a problem, let's duke it out right now. I am not afraid of any of you. But that said, Burrow is, he's not a huge vocal guy. He's I mean, not, yeah, no. you yell a little bit. You can see on the sideline, but like even the speech, like first thing he thanks is his offensive line. Mm-hmm. You know, the big emotional guys on this team are the wide receivers. But even Clyde Edwards-Elaire, who's such a great player and he's such a, you know, sort of the fulcrum of the offense, mm. he's a quiet guy. I mean, it's not like, you know, he's not a guy who's beating his chest. Yeah. And normally our crazy guys are on defense. You know, we normally have, you know, Honey Badger. Mm. You know, guys like that who are really out, you know, Jamal Adams, like really outspoken players. You look at this defense I mean, we've got really good defensive players, but most of them, they are, yeah, it's it's everybody. Like it's uh, Derek Stingley. I mean, he's a freshman. It's I don't even know what Derek Stingley's voice sounds like. <laughs> now, part of it is because freshmen aren't supposed to do um, media appearances. Yeah, uh, they, he did one after the Georgia game, but I wasn't watching because I was too busy celebrating. Um, <laughs> well, like outside of Kalevon. We don't really have a personality on defense this year. No. Like a really just kind of crazy guy who are like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, I think Phillips is an incredible linebacker, and he's just, you know, I, I hate to use the analogy, you know, the uh, old cliche, but he's just a hard hat guy. Yeah. He, you know, puts on the, you know, puts on the hat and goes to work. And I, I think that's kind of what this team is. Like, mm. It's just a bunch of guys who come and they do their jobs. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if you could choose a symbol of this team other than, you know, Burrow, who's just a great player, I mean, it'd be a guy like Jacoby Stevens, who was a five-star recruit, but he's played almost every position on the field. And this year he's played safety, he's played nickel corner, he's played linebacker, and he's done it just whatever that needs to be done, he has done it, and he's contributed. And you could make a very good argument that Jacoby Stevens is our best defensive player and outside of the LSU universe, I don't think anybody knows who he is. Right. And he's a former five-star recruit. Well, I'm sure scouts are taking notice. I hope they are, but not too much. He's a junior, and I would like him to stay for a senior year. <laughs> so. Yeah. But I do think that's a big thing on this team. Like, if you if you go down the lineup, there's just a lot of guys who contribute. And, you know, I'm looking at, the like, the tackle list right now. Once again, Kalevon Chason is about the one guy who – who jumps out as a big personality. Like Delpit's a great player, but he's not a huge personality. Yeah. And you keep going down the list. It's like, it's hard. Like Christian Fulton, great player. You know, Rashad Lawrence is, or Fahoko is a big personality, but I mean, we're talking, I'm now down 14th in tackles. Yeah. You know, but also that says this, how deep the production is. We have 19 players on the team who have at least 10 tackles, which is a lot. And that 19th guy is Cordell Flott. Wow. And Cordell Flott is really good as a freshman. I am really looking forward to him as an upperclassman. Yeah. And so, yeah, you just go so deep in productive players who contribute. And, yeah, I think that's the strength of the team. Like, if you look at last year, one of the biggest problems of the team was the offensive line. There was no consistency. Guys were hurt the entire year. So they had excuses. But 
the offensive line couldn't protect. They couldn't really open up holes. And this year they were nominated for an award for the best offensive line of the year. I think it's a little bit much. They weren't that good, but it does show what kind of year this team had that when given a chance, the offensive line, they protected Burrow. They, they made it possible for him to have a Heisman season. Yep. And that's the kind of team this is. Now our wide receivers are incredibly uh, flamboyant, but <laughs> that's just because they're wide receivers and they're awesome. So, and it well, actually, I need to check this because I know they had a bet on who was going to score the most touchdowns. Jamar Chase has eighteen, well ahead of the pack. Jefferson has fourteen. Terrace Marshall has ten, but he only played ten games. So if we prorate it, you know, he's still yeah. still in contention, and I think the playoffs should count. So. Whatever they were betting, <laughs> I, I still think you should have a chance to catch up. Smart money still on Chase. But I think Jefferson, if he really comes to play in these last two games, can sneak it away from Jamar Chase. Yeah. All depends on uh, the routes and the defense. So, yeah. It was just – this was a team where everybody came to play. And everybody you – know, everybody did their job. There, there's not one part of the team where you're like, okay, this is a hole and this is what we're trying to cover up. Yeah. Even good teams have their weaknesses where you're like, hey, this is the part relatively where we're not as strong. Really, what's the LSU relative weakness? What's our worst personnel grouping on the field? Linebackers? Maybe, I'd say maybe defensive line. And we go six deep. You know, it's I'm comfortable with the entire – too deep, you know, where you have all six guys, the way they can rotate. Yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't get a ton of sacks, but that's not what their job is, really. It's to kind of hold pressure. They're still, they do exactly what I want them to do. So, and that I think might be our weakest unit. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, this is a team that really doesn't have a relative weakness where you're just like, okay, this is what you attack. If I'm going up against LSU, I don't know what's the thing they don't do. Because mm. everyone else talks about run defense. That's one game. I think you're in big trouble if you think LSU can't play run defense. Yeah. And Aranda's not the type to let that happen twice. Yeah. I just think that's kind of – they had a bad game. And I, I love the fact they had that bad game because it's led to – Teams misevaluating how we play. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a chance that Oklahoma is going to think they can Ole Miss the LSU defense. And please, please <laughs> think that LSU can't cover the run. Like, that's, I'm begging you. So, yeah, like this, I don't want to say that the season was perfect because it's hard to have a perfect year. And, and no year is perfect, but this is about as close as it comes. And with that, we'll take some questions, and we'll get to the Bur you know we'll get to the Burrow Heisman and the other awards at our next podcast. Alrighty. All right. So Max Toscano starts out by saying, "I'm not even going to ask about Aranda because of the time we asked for for questions last week, there was the social media blow up that he was being seriously considered for some head coaching jobs." Right. And and Max was just. So long as he coaches the playoff, he 
said, I'm honestly not that upset. And, you know, I, I think the general consensus, at least from from what I saw going around online, was that most LSU fans were fine if Aranda took that next step. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that – a great coordinator you can only keep for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Most guys are not Bud Foster, who will yeah. stay with your program forever. <laughs> so we're nearing the end of Aranda's reign here, and he's done a very good job. And if he leaves – for an NFL gig or for a head coaching job. Well, God bless him. Yeah. As long as he doesn't leave us before the end of the playoffs, that's a, Hey, you did your job and congratulations. And you did everything you promised. And if he stays great, this is not a me subtly trying to push him out the door. I still think he's a terrific defensive coordinator and I got really no problem with what he's, what he has done. Yeah. Randall also doesn't strike me as the type of guy who is kind of like Wade Phillips, only suited to be a coordinator, you know, yeah. not, not a head coach. Because there are just some guys who are like that. They're they're the best there there is at that particular job, but they can't quite cut it at the next level. But yeah, he and he's also he, he he's young enough that he's going to want to he's going to want to scratch that itch eventually, right? Yeah, whether it's head coaching or the NFL. He's going to want to do that, and that's – it's the next logical step. You can't hold a guy of Aranda's talent for too long. Yeah. It's just how it goes. Max's follow-up to that little question, not a question, was who is your pick for breakout LSU player of the college football playoff? He says, I think I'll go with Kerry Vincent. I think he puts it all together. That's a good call. <sighs> um – Trying to think, uh, I mean, because so many guys have played at the peak of their <laughs> the right. their peak performance all year. <laughs> it's hard to think of a guy who, I mean, because you want to say like someone like Thaddeus Moss. Um, he only scored one touchdown this year, hmm. so maybe Thaddeus Moss gets a little bit more involved in the red zone offense, catches two touchdowns in a game or something like that, makes a more of a name for himself as a pass catcher. But I mean, he already has thirty eight catches, so it's not like. People don't know about him. Right. I, I think Kerry Vincent is a great answer. I, since I've mentioned him earlier, I think Cordell Flott. I think he's really rounding out into next year's starting cornerback. Uh, I, I think I have – I'm not nervous at all about next year having um, Stingley and Flott as our top two. Yeah. And I think he's a guy who's getting more reps. They're more comfortable with him back there. He no longer looks like a freshman out there. He got burnt early in the year where they kind of put him out there, and that's hey, that, that's what happens. I mean, you have to – the freshmen have to have their moments. I, I think the last couple of weeks he's really – you don't notice him when he's on the field, and that's the highest compliment you can play to a cornerback. Mm. I don't think he's necessarily going to have a, a big breakout in the playoff, but I'm definitely keeping my eye on Marcel Brooks, and not just because he's not a good call. He's my local flower mound, Marcus kid, uh, the high school just up the street from us. But, uh, yeah, he's kind of been quietly putting it together, and, and you hear his name a little bit more and more as the season has progressed, too. Yeah, that's another really good call. And honestly, if we're talking about breakout play on the playoffs, when he comes back, I think people have forgotten about Michael Divinity. Yeah. Funny how we're talking all defense, too. Well, you know, I tried to throw – I did say Thaddeus Moss. I was trying to – I mean, everyone on offense has performed so great. It's hard to 
I mean, it's not like uh, Jefferson's going to break out. People yeah. know he's great. All right, so Crackles wants to know, if you could put yourself into any TV family, which would it be and why? And uh, at Hilliard24 answered his questions with, Adam's family, next. <laughs> That's a good answer. Um, well, clearly, you know, if we're talking like quality of life, I'm going to go with the Ewings from Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, but then there's uh, all like, that drama, so. Yeah. I'd like to own an oil well. But yeah. <laughs> that, so if we leave like just being rich out of it, there's something to be said for just being kind of in a boring family where nothing really goes wrong and everybody loves one another. So, uh, I don't know. I'd kind of want to be in the, either the Keatons or the Seavers. I was going to go with the Seavers. That was kind of like the first one that popped into my head. Yeah, like nothing really went bad for them. Like they, you know, all their issues were very, you know, they were managed within 22 minutes. <laughs> well, it, issues were age-appropriate issues too, right? Exactly, yeah. The Seavers is a good, yeah, growing pains is the way to go. There's not a whole lot bad that happened to them you know uh bad drama leads to a good life mm. all right crackles follows that up with if you could build a statue of one person who is it why and where build a statue of one person well i've been joking about this on twitter because i've been talking about it they're building statues of dolly parton in the place of confederate um generals and that's <laughs> genius <laughs> First off, because Dolly Parton is everything great about being a Southerner. Yes. Um, uh, she's the best. But also, secondly, and I, I thought about this when I was in Austin, we should have more statues of musicians and artists instead of military leaders and presidents and stuff like that. There's there's less chance they'll embarrass you later on. Mm. And, and that's even when you take into account like their drug habits and things like that. Right. But Dolly Parton's like one of the best people in the world. But since that's already like a big Twitter thing, I'm not going to steal that answer. Since I live in Dallas, I'd like to put up a statue in Dallas, you know, something that's near and dear to us. I would like to see one of two statues. I'd either like to see a Robert Johnson statue in Deep mm. Ellum because he recorded most of his music here. Yeah. Most people do not know that Dallas, Texas is the uh, where they recorded Robert Johnson, which arguably makes Dallas, Texas the home of the blues and eventually <laughs> rock and roll. Uh, I mean, this is where it started. I mean, this is the proto, you know, primordial ooze part, not the actual, but Robert Johnson is one of the most important recording artists of the 20th century. He, he's still blues, but it's where rock and roll gets most of its ideas. And I think that it would be cool if Dallas honored that, mm. even though he's even though he's not one of our native sons. If we're going more for our native son, and once again sticking with musicians, because I think we should have more statues of musicians and artists. Dimebag Daryl, you should have a statue of Pantera, who has meant a lot to this town. Yeah, they still have you know several music venues that they've had a big part of. You know, one of the biggest metal scenes in the country. He's Dallas music. I think that would be really cool to have a dime bag Daryl. And now while I'm saying that if we're talking about people who are important to their town, since I'm from Baltimore, I would love for there to be a John Waters statue in Hamden. John Waters has made some of the best films you've never seen. 
Yeah. And they were rude, they were crude, they were offensive, and they were utterly brilliant and hysterical. And John Waters is Baltimore. If you want to understand Baltimore, you need to watch a John Waters movie. Probably Female Troubles. <laughs> and I, I think that would be something that the town would be proud of. I mean, put it in Hamden. Don't put it like downtown. Put it in a neighborhood. So that would be my answers. Who would you have? Well, hmm. I started to think, and this is some kind of recency bias of my own life coming into play. I would love, and who knows, there might be, I haven't researched this because I didn't really think about this question despite having sat on it for a week until I actually read it just a moment ago. Tom Clancy changed reading for me as a teenager. And and he has, he literally created an entire subgenre within mystery and thrillers that dozens of writers make a living off of today. And so I think it would be pretty cool to kind of there uh, outside Baltimore on the coast. I forget what which uh, little town he's he, born, he Well, he's right outside of Annapolis, isn't Annap- he? I mean, cause yeah. I, I forget the name of the town. It's uh, it's right there on the Chesapeake somewhere. Like but, Cambridge uh, or something like that? Yeah. I don't uh, know what town he's from, but I, I, that's a really good I, – I like that answer because he's like the the logical step after Louis L'Amour. You yeah. know, he's just – well, the one I was thinking of as soon as I thought of Tom Clancy, though, was uh, John Le Carre. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. And so, you know, he's from uh, from Dorset over there in the UK. So, if they don't already have a statue of him up there, he would have been the one that Clancy would have said should have a statue made. So, I'd, I'd go with with those two writers myself. Yeah, and also like the UK is really good about. That even if they don't put up statues, they do the blue dots. Mm. If you've ever been to London, where it's like this writer lived here or this yeah. person lived here, like I know they can do it because London's such an old city. But I wish we just treated writers and artists better mm. because their stuff is going to survive. You know, put up a Dylan statue in Minneapolis, you know, or a Prince statue for God's sake, you know. There's got to already be one, right? Yeah, there has to be, right? But I don't know, right? But yeah, I wish we did more for artists and writers. Anybody out there from Minneapolis, St. Paul listening, let us know if there's a Prince yeah. statue up, because, yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, there's t- yeah. Okay, at Hilliard24, actually has a football question this time, and says... Ooh. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> What's the... Why did Burrow wait all season to break out the double-spin 70-yard bob? And then follows it up with, seriously, though, is he going to be the most voted for Heisman winner ever? Now we know he is. Yeah. And, of course, you you like to save some of your best moves for last. You can't, you know. <laughs> Don't like bring about enter- too early in the season. Yeah, like any entertainer, you have to, like, <laughs> spread some stuff out. You got to, you know, leave us one and more. And you know – the Heisman committee had to be breathing a sigh, a sigh of relief that Burrow now owns the mark for the biggest blowout yeah. in Heisman voting history, uh, dethroning O.J. Simpson. So well, I'm, O.J. I think still has most votes, but other yes. than that, yeah, but, he took uh, away Burrow everybody has, else. He had the biggest margin, and so I think they're pretty happy they can put a black line through that. So, But yeah, he part of it was that Burrow was great. But the other thing was that there just wasn't another viable candidate. Mm. 
you know, Tua got hurt. Uh, Chase got suspended. Clemson never really, they never really struggled this year. And also um, ATN, you know, barely touched the ball in the second half of games. Yeah. You know, Hundley was good, but, you know, he, he crapped the bed in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, it's just no one ever emerged as a viable candidate against them. So not only did you have this great season, you had a great season with no one else who could compare to it. Yeah. Um, honestly, I thought the guy who had something to compare didn't get invited. I thought Jonathan Taylor at least deserved an invite. Rushed for, what, almost 2,000 yards. He has over 6,000 yards rushing in his career. I thought it would have been a nice career capper. He did finish fifth in the voting. You know, invite Taylor. Like, what what harm would have it had to have a running back up there? It would have yeah. meant something to those fans. I thought it was really just mean-spirited not to invite him. Well, I guess they figure they'll have an hour. They have to pl- plow through four guys already on the ESPN's yeah, program. And, so Yeah, they can have up to five. And look, if I would have had a Heisman vote, I would have thrown a vote to Taylor just for a career mark as my third vote. Hmm. Like, I would have put him on my ballot. Because I think the Heisman is bigger than just one year sometimes. Particularly if you're just throwing a third place vote. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where there wasn't an obvious candidate so I could get creative with my ballot if I had one. So, I feel bad that he didn't get invited. I thought he should have. And we will certainly discuss that a little bit more with Seth and perhaps Jake on the next episode. Yeah. All right, Jacob Hippard wants to know who is your favorite less recognized player on this team and he said for him it's moss shelvin and queen those are good answers everybody's answers are great so whoever it is for you it's it's correct uh, <laughs> um I, I i mean that because everybody yeah. has like your favorite player um I, I already hyped him up earlier i think jacoby stevens sums up everything about this team then again he's second on the team in tackles who's not too obscure but i i I think Jacoby Stevens thing about LSU and I think he should get more love than he's getting on offense. uh, Damian Lewis. Yeah. Came in as a Juco transfer. Didn't know if he was going to be a starter. Started every game as a junior was a rock on the offensive line last year when we desperately needed some sort of continuity and then comes back this year. There's all the rumor, you know, Ingram's coming back. There's turmoil in the line. Again, starts every game. He's just a rock. And if one person symbolizes how the offensive line protected Joe Burrow and allowed him to become a Heisman candidate, it's Lewis. And offensive linemen are always the unsung heroes of teams. Mm -hmm. If the LSU offensive line does not improve like it did this season, this season was not possible. So their remarkable improvement – from last year to this year is the thing that made this season possible. And they deserve all of the credit for that. And I think every person in the LSU locker room knows it. So if I have to just put it on one guy, I'm going to say Damian Lewis, but I do mean the entire offensive line. Yeah, That that was immediately where I went with that question too, was, was the O line. They were great. They weren't, I, I don't think they deserve the award for the best offensive line in the country, and I don't think they want it. But they were really, really good. And two years ago, they were really, really bad. And last year, there was just no continuity. So the sheer level of it, there is no offensive line in the country that has as improved as this LSU line. 
And honestly, they played some monster defensive lines. I mean, Auburn, Alabama, Florida, those guys have some guys who can get at the quarterback, even Mississippi State. Yep. And they – I mean, Burrow got sacked this year. You know, he, he took some pressure. But I, I think their most remarkable performance was Auburn because in the first quarter they were getting mauled. And then I don't know what they did to adjust, but the next three quarters, Burrow stayed upright, and it was a different game. And it allowed LSU to come back and win that game. Yep. So thanks, offensive line. Someone does appreciate you. We see you, even if we don't understand what's going on. (laughs) Vinny Bartles asks, outside of LSU's postseason games, what's one New Year's Six and one non-New Year's Six Bowl you would love to see in person this year? Well, I have to see a game in person. I'm going to Hawaii, right? <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> um, <laughs> that stadium was never, ever full either. Like, ever. Yeah, I mean, but let's let's at least keep it to uh, actual quality of game. I hold a degree from Baylor. Uh, my JD is from there. I'm really proud of the Bears for making the Sugar Bowl. So I, I think if I had the New York the New Year's Six Bowl I would want to go to is Georgia Baylor, mm. just because, and that's a personal thing because no one saw this season coming. I think if anyone had an argument for being Coach of the Year that was not Coach O, it was Matt Rule. And let's be honest, if their wide receiver does not get tackled in the open space in the Big Twelve Championship game, <laughs> they're in the playoffs right now. Yep. I mean, they are they were one play away from making the playoffs, and that's amazing for them. So that's a personal one, but I'm proud of them, and I would go to that. Non-New Year's Six, I think the most interesting – not even the most interesting bowl. The bowl I'd want to go to is the Las Vegas Bowl, Boise State-Washington, which is kind of informally now the Chris Peterson Bowl because Chris Peterson's announced his retirement. Longtime Boise State coach, now the head coach of Washington – I think that'll be a nice send off. Yeah. And if you're only going to watch one bowl game, say so long to one of the good guys in sports and, you know, one of the great coaches of this era. So uh, I I would like to see that one. I'm kind of with you on the Sugar Bowl. I think that's just going to be a really entertaining game. And I think it'd be even entertaining if you had, if you flipped Oklahoma with Baylor. I think Georgia, Oklahoma would have been an awesome game, too. Yeah. I'll tell you the game you don't want to watch is Michigan State Wake Forest because oh my god that sounds terrible. <laughs> Playing in Yankee Stadium, so it'll be cold. Oh jeez. And maybe it'll be like thirty-five degrees, maybe a little bit of sleet going on. Two terrible offenses just trying to play to a three to two slugfest. That sounds awful. Oh, <laughs> the pinstripe bowl really sounds like torture. I think Minnesota Auburn's going to be fairly entertaining. Yeah, no, Minnesota was had a great year, great story. And, and I said this online, I, I think Auburn gave LSU its toughest test. I, I think the Bama game was a bigger win for obvious reasons. But Auburn, on their best day, can come to play. Yeah. They are a terrifyingly good team. And so is Minnesota. Yeah, again, a, another team, well, at least for one half of football, was pretty close to being in the playoff. Yeah, they fell apart against Wisconsin, but yeah, Minnesota's great job this year. Like it's it's hard to root against uh, Minnesota. So just because it, there's a personal connection with one of my best friends from college, his son plays baseball for them, 
and not because at all that it's in Mobile, which has, like Dallas, no redeeming qualities as a tourist destination. I'd like to go see the Lindine Tree Bowl, the very last bowl of bowl season this year, because it's it's University of Louisiana at Lafayette, which is what I'm always going to call them, despite the university's best efforts to rename themselves otherwise. But they're playing Miami of Ohio. And that just seems to me like, A, that'd be a fun bowl game, just from the two teams involved. This was also uh, ULL's first 10-win season. And again, personal connection with uh, an athlete there. So yeah, that, that's what I would pick as my non-New Year's Six Bowl. All right, that sounds like a good one. I also like the little guys. They tend to put up good bowl games. Right. They're interested. Yes, they're vested a lot more so a lot of times. See, that's one of those things I think of, like, with Georgia Baylor. On paper, that seems like that should be a really good game, but how invested is Georgia going to be in it? I think Baylor's yeah, much more invested. Yeah, guys are going to sit out. Yeah, Baylor's much more invested in that, in that game than Georgia is. Yeah. But that, you know, I think Georgia's a much better team, so I think Baylor being more vested makes it a competitive game. So mm. I think if they were playing in mid November, I would take Georgia in the points. But play that game now, I think Baylor's got a much better chance. Well, Vinny wants to know will there ever be a more miserable bowl crowd than Bama playing Michigan in a meh tier bowl in Orlando? I don't know. I think the Michigan State Wake Forest game, man, that's going to be an ugly crowd. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be fun for us. Honestly, look, Alabama's been in so many playoffs, it's it's hard for them to even be upset about not being in this one. Mm. And Mi- Michigan thought they were going to be better this year, but I think they knew from the beginning that they weren't. They've had a long time to come to terms with it. So I don't think it's quite the misery bowl that you want it to be. And on the flip side, I don't think a whole bunch of their fans are going to travel because why? Yeah, exactly. At Hilliard 24 has a non-football question for us. He wants to know, right. what's your favorite non-mainline movie Star Wars story, and why is it The Clone Wars? It's not The Clone Wars. <laughs> um, this is also, hey, do you want to take this first, or you want me to take it first? Because well, you're also a Star Wars nerd. I- I'm going with The Mandalorian. The production okay. of this show is just phenomenal. It's like watching a movie every week, and they're teasing you just enough to keep you interested. Obviously there's going to be a second and, and third season out of this They're They're pulling back the curtain on uh, a people you've heard a lot about in all of these other star Wars stories. They give you a little bit of it in rebels. There's a big Mandalorian storyline that kind of weaves its way through a couple of seasons there, but they don't um, really answer some of the questions you had as a result of Boba Fett being in the original trilogy. And so from that aspect of it, it's, it's really intriguing. Um, there's a lot of, of the question of what are the consequences of his choices that he's making and how's he going to live through them. And he keeps managing to do so and, and not in any sort of, cheating their way through the script kind of a way I guess is the best yeah. way to put it it's 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 plausible given the universe that they're in Clone Wars is a good a good answer 
It is. I, it I, is. I, was making, I was making fun of it off the top. But yes, Clone Wars is really good, but it's it's not mine. It's um, I, I honestly think ever since, again, you're going to go with the trilogy of Star Wars movies that you grew up with, and you and I are both original trilogy guys. So outside of the original trilogy, I think the best storytelling in general that they, they've done in the Star Wars universe has been in the long format, all the TV shows. And so honestly don't think you could have a wrong answer, but yeah, it's the Mandalorian. My thing is like, I think it's a good decision. A lot of Star Wars nerds disagree with me on this one, but I'm just going to say it. Getting rid of the extended universe was a good idea because most of it was terrible. Hmm. All right. Just most of it was God awful. Actually, that's not true. Most of it was just mediocre. Yeah. Only some of it was God awful. It, but it was just stuff to keep us going. And it, I never viewed it as essential in the first place. It started strong that, and then just kind of. And that's where I'm going. Meandered its way into meh territory. That said, as much as I think you can toss all of the EU in the trash can and not lose anything. The Thrawn trilogy mm. is the best thing they have done outside of the movies. That is the best, most fully formed character. And I, what I like about it is that only like hardcore Star Wars geeks know about him. Yeah. He, he's now shown up in the cartoons and stuff. So people know about him. But I mean, like, know him kind of thing. Thrawn is sort of the test case of are you a Star Wars nerd? Yeah. But also... It was really well done. They they showed how the Empire could have leadership that worked. Mm. And they made the villain essentially the hero. You root for him. Yeah. I mean, he's evil, but he's competent and you see his decision making and they you end up liking it. You respect him and you know, you're like he's he's ethical, I mm. guess is the best way to say it. And I really like because the original trilogy, and I do love the original trilogy because, you know, once again, age, but it's a story of black and white. There's good guys and there's bad guys. There's good guys and there's bad guys and never the tween show meet. You know, they try and make Han a little bit, you know, scruffy around the edges, but he's still, he's a good guy. And he's never going to do anything that isn't good. Yep. Thrawn is the first time the Star Wars universe said, here's an evil character, but he's not really evil. So there's shades of gray in this universe. And it had been hinted at before, which is why I think the original Star Wars trilogy is so good that they kind of like hint at this really rich universe that you never see. Mm -hmm. But that's the first time they really color in the lines. And so I would say if you can find it, uh, find the old Thrawn books. They're, they, and this is someone who is saying that the EU is totally worthless. They're great. <laughs> they are the exception. And hey, if you really want to read the original Extended Universe book, go find a copy of Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Oh, see, there you go. By Alan that Dean is... Foster. And and that's kind of what set it off, because that was, they were just licensing, licensing stuff to license it. Yeah. And, and back after then, that, when... they're like, oh my, they kind of said, oh my God, we need to regulate this stuff because they got popular. Yeah. Because the first couple books were pretty good. And they're like, oh my God. This isn't going to make us a ton of money, but we need to make sure that we don't have storylines that are going to conflict with what we want to do in the future. Right. And, and you know, back during the original trilogy days, it was really easy for them to do that because Lucas did have 
so much control, more control. And that's why right. outside of the movies, the only things you had going on was Alan Dean Foster wrote Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which takes place between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And yeah. for anybody who doesn't know, he ghost wrote the Star Wars novelization for George Lucas. It has Lucas's name on it, but Alan Dean Foster yeah. wrote it. Yeah, right. And then Brian Daly wrote the Han Solo trilogy. And that was pretty much it. Then, and then Marvel had the comics. They had the comics, which were bad, but the comics they have now are good. So yeah. who knew? And that, so that was, that was pretty much it. Those four books in the comics. And so it really was easy for them to control. And then a few years after Jedi, that's when they started off with, well, how do we keep people interested? Because we don't know when yeah. George is going to be running a, doing the next movie, if he's ever going to do another movie. Honestly, there, the real thought was it was never going to happen. Right. Uh, I mean, I think the excitement of the prequels was that, oh, my God, there's new Star Wars. Right. I, I, there was a legitimate belief that they were never going to make more Star Wars movies. Lucas, he, he didn't promise it, is the best way to say it. Right. It's, and then it was like, oh, he might get to it one day, but he's too busy counting his money. And Well, and he wanted to do I, other stuff, too. Like, he wrote in, he wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark for Spielberg, yeah, like, and he did Willow. He, he wanted to try other, I think, genres. and Of course. And you know, he, like, no one wants to be doing the same thing their entire career. Right. So I think that's perfectly legitimate. And but those books, I mean, the reason the extended universe popped up is because there was this insatiable desire for it. Right. And there was nothing new coming out and there was no plans for it ever to come out. Yeah. And that's when it exploded. Another good one is the Dark Empire series from Dark Horse. That's a good that, that was one of the, yeah, the early Dark Horse Dark, com- Dark Horse comics were just unbelievably good. Yeah. Yeah. After, you know, Marvel lost the license, Dark Horse was the one that that Lucasfilm next awarded to for comics and the dark they empire, kept the flame alive yeah. yeah dark empire and dark empire 2 both great storylines too yeah you're right about that but still okay to chuck all of them don't want to get trapped <laughs> joe borough goat and of course goat is spelled g-e-a-u-x-t wants to know if dave aranda takes a head coach job who do you go out and get I really think you have to think about doing an internal hire and promoting Corey Raymond. Mm. He's been here for a long time. I know he's here mainly for his recruiting, but he's our DB coach. We pay him a lot of money. There comes a point where you have to either promote him or accept that he's going to leave. Yeah. And honestly, look, the last internal hire worked pretty well. So I'm kind (laughs) of on board with internal promotions right now. If you're looking outside I think the two defensive coordinators in the AAC, I forgot their names, but at Memphis and Cincinnati, mm. they both turned out great defenses. I think that's the path you go. So I'm trying to get like a huge name, get someone who's killing it in the group of five. Yeah, I'd be okay with Corey Rabin selfishly just because we had a bath class together my freshman year. So there you go. Good dude. He has been a good dude. And just really, lo- but look, they. George almost lured him away last year. There's a time where either we're going to promote the dude or we're not. And I, I'm kind of at the point where are we holding back his career? Mm. And if we don't think he's defensive coordinator caliber, it might be time to let, to let him explore other options. Yeah. Do you think if Aranda sticks around for another year, if, if nothing comes his way, that's that enticing. 
do you think perhaps they start looking ahead and maybe make him assistant defensive coordinator or something like that? Raymond? He's paid enough. I mean, isn't he the highest um, highest paid assistant on staff right now? I mean, one, before Joe Brady gets a gigantic right. raise. Right. I think so. Um, but yeah, I think he needs he needs to get a co-DC in his title. He They need... He's already gotten a salary bump. Give him the title bump. Let's see if he can do the job. Yeah. I, I really am on board with... If they've been really ha- happy with the internal group, because you know Coach O came in and he didn't fire many people. Yeah, there was a lot of staff continuity, so he's liked the staff, but which means he trusts them. And I think if you trust them, that means I kind of want to keep this staff together. I don't mm. want to bring in an outsider at this point. Yeah, and yeah, maybe that's you know your ideas will get stale, but I think the 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 staff strength right now is that they don't get stale, that they're very good about seeking out new ideas. Yeah. And if we're bringing in new people, I'd rather bring them in at the bottom of the pyramid mm. rather at the top. That makes sense. You know how they brought in Brady. They said, okay, you're going to, you know, be a passing game coordinator. And he had an eye to making him the offensive coordinator, but he wasn't the court. You know, they didn't hire him as the OC. Right. So. Well, I think there's, there was a lot for him to learn, Right. I mean, well, yeah, he had, he had never called a game before, yeah. you, know, you know, and also I think people are giving short shrift to Ensminger as well. He absolutely, we forget how bad the offense was. And then he took over immediately and I don't want to say transform the offense, but it was performing a lot better. Well, he studied reason, it, right? He got consistent performance out of them, but before. he also got, had one of the biggest offensive outputs against his first game when, you know, he just let them loose against Missouri. Yeah. But like last year's offense there was just no returning talent. It wasn't so much a philosophic decision to be conservative. It mm. was, we're not returning any quarterbacks, wide receivers, linemen, or running backs. We better get down, you know, make this really simple. Yeah. Because we're going to get killed. Well, so, they didn't know that Joe Burrow was Joe Burrow then either. No, they didn't. So, But Joe Burrow wasn't Joe Burrow last year. Right. So, Not until the Fiesta Bowl. Not until the Fiesta Bowl. His origin story is getting ear hold. <laughs> well, that's it for questions. And with that, we will be back later this week. Talk about Joe Burrow winning a Heisman. But until then, go Tigers. Should be rock on t-